This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, is out this week. As the year draws to a close, we're going to reflect back on a few of our more exciting and unexpected observations and encounters with the natural world in 2022, while making plans for 2023 wildlife encounters. So we're joined by our friend Joe McGee. He's here to share his favorite sights and sounds from the year. Libby's ready to discuss your latest encounters with nature. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Always like to remind you that if you miss Creature Comforts on Thursdays, it repeats Saturday mornings at 6. So Libby's on the phone with us. Libby, I think you're out in Oregon again. Is that correct? Yes, I am. Well, we've been lucky. We've been having, well, somewhat lucky. We've been having a mild winter, had some really bad weather yesterday. Things have cleared out, uh, but it's gotten colder. What about a weather check out there in the west? Okay, we're, it's 24 degrees this morning, so uh, frosty. And, um, of course, it's still, the sun's just now coming up. And um, I've got the hummingbird feeder out, though, because I had uh, four Anna's hummingbirds at the feeder all day yesterday. It was a cool, sunny day yesterday, and um, I'm hoping that's what I'll get again today. We've had a lot of around 40-degree rain in the last two weeks, so it, it was fun to have a sunny day. But it was cold, and uh, we'll be again today. And uh, uh Lots of feeder birds in the yard, uh, spotted towhee notably. They're absolutely beautiful out here. And, I, again, the Anna's hummingbirds are just little miracles to me to have them in the snow and in the winter. So I'm enjoying having those. We had a, a, a wildlife encounter or two getting here. This was a, 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 a snowy adventure. We flew into Boise um, and stayed at friend's house. And uh they were getting snow there in between Boise and Burns, um, Oregon. We got into um, snowy conditions, pretty, you know, pretty good amount of snow. And then as we kept going, got more and more past Burns in the high desert. Uh, there was a good bit of snow, and you know, we were having to be careful, ice on the roads. And um, we always like to watch for. Um, small groups of pronghorns along the way. So there in the, the high desert is beautiful to uh, Paul and I. We enjoy traveling through it. It's a different kind of landscape. We saw about a dozen pronghorns in a herd and uh, a coyote walk up. So, you know, we're going really slow in the snow and got to witness this. But the group of pronghorns basically charged the coyote in ran him for a long time and these pronghorns are really they're beautiful little mammals and um uh they look like an antelope and i think a lot of times we call them pronghorn antelopes but they're not true antelopes like the ones in africa but uh, uh very fast i didn't look up the statistics but it's one of the fastest running hoofed animals in north america if not the fastest and uh so they 
they can their defense of course is to outrun an animal and coyotes are their biggest predators by far they coyotes take the very young and the very old and anybody who slows down basically so pronghorns have to outrun them all the time and after i saw this unusual deal with the coyotes or what i thought was unusual with the uh, coyotes being run away by pronghorns i started reading about it and it is it is a thing and there's several videos online showing um events that people have had i saw a group of six of these videos so evidently you know the pronghorns are smart little animals and they know to be afraid of the coyote and the um coyote is the worst predator against their young and old so they chase them off, and it, it may be an irritant as much as anything or just to wear the coyote out, but whenever they can, they chase them away and keep an eye on them, so uh, defending their herd. But anyway, I thought that was pretty fun to get to do that, and um, I'm glad Joe's there. I, he told me a little bit about yesterday, last night, about what he's going to talk about today, so I have a couple of events later if you need me to add my uh, two cents on my my year's adventures out of doors. You know, you you've been out the uh, in Oregon, I guess, in enough of the different parts of the year. Uh, do you are you seeing the seasonal changes and are things transitioning to what would normally be seen during the colder months? Oh yes, definitely. Yeah, and that that's one of the the things we enjoy the most. I think is having four seasons here, and we we try to come often enough that we get to see those progressions and yeah this year we really got the taste of winter oh i guess to finish that story after we saw the pronghorns then uh you know we kept traveling on once we got past bend when we got to the little town of sisters there was a lot of snow and now we you know we'd read ahead so we were prepared as much as we could be being mississippians we had our snow chains that our our friendly guy had um, given us in a bend so we were ready we had the, of course we had the camper we had the RV and we were in our Mississippi truck and um, Paul had watched the number of YouTube videos <laughs> what we always do isn't it so um, when they flagged us all over to put on our chains it was Snowing pretty hard, beautiful spot. So, of course, my job was to take the pictures, right, and give encouragement. <laughs> so, um, Paul managed to get the chains on. We were pulled over. I felt like well, we were with the big boys. It was a lot of great big trucks. And once you get those chains on, they don't want you to pass, and you can't go more than 30 miles an hour. Hmm. So, we really crept through the cascades, but... I felt like we had a good community to pass through with. Everybody was being careful and, you know, obeying the speed limits. And we got behind one truck and stayed behind him there for. But, you know, we don't don't you don't follow real close. So you do get to see a view every now and then. Though We would see his taillights in front of us and, you know, know we were kind of in the right spot. But it was absolutely gorgeous. It was like a slow corridor, almost a tunnel sometimes, because the big tall trees on the sides of the road, you know, the um, evergreens, were holding a lot of snow and um, bending towards the road in places. And uh, the, the road was covered with ice and snow, you know, just enough that we could go along the path that had been 
plowed ahead of us. And uh, the roads had been plowed, but, you know, when it's that cold, they're freezing up. So anyway, we learned to use chains, and it worked and uh, had a beautiful trip. Uh, uh, not too far past Sisters, uh, night hit us, of course, night fell. So it was we traveled in the dark, and it made it a little bit more exciting to be in the midst of all that snow in the dark and have some some strange photographs from that trip and uh it was it was fun of course then you get through we went through Santium pass that was the highest point that we had to get through and uh so that was sort of our goal be able to get safely through Santium pass which we did in the dark in the snow and then uh we get down the other side and come into the um Willamette Valley and just a tiny bit of snow everywhere and pull over and take the chains off of course so we felt like we learned something new we did learn something new something that uh we may use again we're going to go to Bend for a little while and um let the kids ski while we keep the baby so uh we'll probably have to use our chains again uh, kudos to Paul for, for being the driver, uh, because I remember the, several years ago when we kind of had a freak snowstorm here, I was on my way down to visit my brother in Pensacola, and it was just kind of a light snow, and I vowed to never again drive through snow because it was so, to me, so nerve-wracking. So I, I give uh, give a lot of credit to Paul for, for being the driver in those situations. So um, we'll be joined by our favorite backyard biologist, Joe McGee, talking about what he's enjoyed seeing in 2022. But we do want to hear from you as well. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. Kevin Farrell here with uh, uh, Libby Hartfield, and our guest in studio today is biologist Joe McGee. So good morning, Joe. Always good to have you uh, in the studio with us. Good morning. So you like we've talked when you visit about birds, frogs, that sort of things, but we've also, I think, have dug into the insect world a couple of times or two. Uh, so tell us about uh, insect observations in uh, 2022. I had a really nice uh, insect observation in August when the weather was just sweltering. There's a little group of, there's a group of, I shouldn't say a little group, it's a big group, but a group of little butterflies called uh, hair streaks. And there's one that everybody likes to see. And it's a little bit seasonal in that its host plant is mistletoe. And we put up mistletoe this time of year. It's called a great purple hair streak. And it was really, really hot. But I thought I'm going to take a break from sitting under the air conditioner <laughs> and go out back. And I was so happy I did. There on the goldenrod was a great purple hair streak. Not one you see every day. And I got some really nice photographs of that. So I was pleased with uh, great purple hair streak. There's one butterfly I missed this past year, and I'm hoping to see it next year. It's called a harvester. It's our only uh, carnivorous butterfly. And you might think, wow, how could a butterfly be carnivorous? Actually, its caterpillars feed on aphids, and the aphids feed on alders and some other plants, beech trees and that sort of thing, American beech. So to locate a harvester, you need to see... uh, the plants that the caterpillars feed on, and you look for in the alders, you look for this white cottony-looking material. They're they're uh, they're called woolly aphids that the uh, harvesters lay their eggs on or near. So next year, I hope to find a harvester butterfly. I've seen them before. I've seen them actually behind the Museum of Natural Science. Around there's a big beech tree down on one of the trails behind the museum. It's it was there before the museum was there. 
That area was once called Riverside Park, I believe, and there are a lot of initials carved in that beech tree. So folks next summer can find it, that beech tree that I'm referring to easily, and maybe they'll see a harvester butterfly. You won't see a harvester coming to flowers. They don't visit flowers. They visit decaying uh, mushrooms or animal scat or uh, sap coming out of a tree wound pad or mud, but you won't find them visiting flowers. But anyway, that's one of my challenges for next year. So when we talk about insects, are we pretty much looking ahead to spring? Are, are, are there some that hang around even in the cooler temperatures of, in wintertime? Insects are always somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, some people think that the cold will knock them back, but they're, they're out there somewhere. I don't think I've ever been out at night in the winter that I wasn't uh, bitten by a mosquito or had a, a mosquito approach me. There was a mosquito in my vehicle this morning. It was on, you know, trying to get out through the windshield, so somehow it got in there. But, yeah, there are insects in the wintertime. In fact, there is a handful of butterflies that overwinter as adults. There's one called a question mark, and uh, it, too, comes to tree wounds or the areas where a uh, yellow-bellied sapsucker has drilled. Don't visit flowers. Obviously, there's not many flowers for them to visit this time of year. So we do have a few butterflies uh, in, even in the wintertime, even this time of year. We're going to be visiting with our guest, Joe McGee, throughout the hour, sort of observations on what Joe has, has seen in this past year of 2022, and maybe we'll talk as well about what to look forward to uh, in the spring and the later parts of 2023. We'd love to have your input as well. What have you been seeing in and around your yard this year? Joe, one of the things that I got to enjoy when we talk about animals is the event that they have uh, at the um, the Craftsman's uh, Center here in the, the central Mississippi area with the um, the fireflies. So I got to go out and, and saw the fireflies, and they really are incredible. Uh, what Which ones can we look for uh, maybe uh, early next spring? And you're referring to the synchronous fireflies, yes, right? In May. Yes, yes. Yeah. You, I only learned a few years ago that there's a species of butterfly, I, I'm sorry, a firefly that comes out early in the spring in March on mild nights in March, you can go out and see them flashing up in the tops of trees. It's called a uh, spring treetop flasher. Had no idea you could see fireflies that early in the year. I know you can see them you in May and June and throughout the summer. But that was a surprise to me and a nice surprise. So I'm looking forward to that in March. And March will be here before you know it. Uh, and then later on in mid-May, you know, around Mother's Day, plus or minus a few days, you go out at night, and that's when you can see the synchronous fireflies. And that's something else I was unaware of. In fact, I didn't know about synchronous fireflies until Libby Hartfield and Paul uh, began to talk about it because they had found them behind their house uh, over in west of Jackson, I believe. So, yeah, looking forward to the fireflies. So let me, you know, it really is amazing when you go out and watch them because of the various kinds, the the treetops and the sinks and, and, and all the different kinds. And it's almost like you don't ever know where to look when you're out in the dark and you start seeing those fireflies. What are some of your recollections of fireflies? Yeah, every year, I guess I have to say my highlight or one of my highlights of the year is when our synchronous fireflies come out. And last year was a particularly good year. That was the seventh year that we've seen them. So we were, uh, you know, we, we always say we don't, we, um, we don't take them for granted. We're always thrilled when we do see them because we've heard stories from people in Tennessee that uh, sometimes they, a population will just disappear. So I'm very pleased that so far we've had for seven years now this population behind our house. But um, And I hope those on the trace will remain, too, because it's such a perfect place for the public to be able to go and see them. And the Craftsman's Guild has been wonderful 
about um, finding ways to get people access safely in there at night. So it's definitely, that's definitely high on my list. Oh, you know another thing, Joe, and I'm trying to think, I, I believe this is usually in the late spring, or, um, and I, I don't know how you can count on it, but I, I manage to see one probably every year, and that's when the termites swarm and you get a flock of dragonflies that come in and feed on them. I've, I've seen a yeah. Those things really dramatically, and it's just when you get a big hatch of termites, inevitably, and it, it's sort of like here come the marines, you know. <laughs> yes. All the, the, uh, the dragonflies just come in and start swooping down and eating tons of them. It's, it's a cool thing to observe. I saw it once behind the museum there on the floor's trail, and, um, it, it's, and then I've seen it at my house a couple of times. In the woods. I, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, uh, it, when I saw it, it was late in the day at dusk, and the weather was actually quite hot. But it was an amazing phenomenon. The the termites, and I've seen them go for flying ants as well. I think they were flying ants, you know, uh, swarming yeah. in the in the air, and then here come the the dragonflies. But what is that? Now that's something I guess to do some research on. What sparks that? How do those dragonflies know? Are they just always on the lookout? But, I mean, it was a lot of dragonflies that came in. I, yes. I, I don't uh, know how they know. Uh, animals are always, you know, food means a lot to them, right? They're always hungry. <laughs> and those dragonflies may be migrating. And so they're really on the, constantly on the mm -hmm. lookout for something to eat. Th yeah. I'm guessing, this is sort of an educated guess on my part. Yeah, yeah. And I've wondered if there could be some kind of pheromone involved. You know, it would make sense that maybe a, a scent travels on the air. Well, there could be. Dragonflies are very visual. Think about their eyes, yeah. how big their yeah, eyes are. They, That's how they locate their mates and so forth. I don't know how, how well the sense of smell is developed yeah. in dragonflies. It's just the way that they came in, because this was kind of a secluded little place, you know, behind the museum, and I'm sitting there watching all those termites and think this is really cool, but I do need to watch where they go. You know, I don't want them to infect any parts of our structures that we care about. And then here come maybe 30 dragonflies all together. Pretty yes. Much. There were like kind of groups, you know, maybe five together and five together until they're 30 or so working that uh, swarm of, of flies. So I felt like, wow, there had to be some signal. Something was happening. In other words, how did the dragonflies yeah, find oh, find the termites? Saying it's their eyes. Yeah, yeah. He's he's saying it's by eyesight too, and that is their big feature. We obviously their eyes are so noticeable. Yeah, they hardly have uh, antenna. You know, the antenna on uh, dragonflies are almost invisible. If you look carefully in one, if you're holding it, you can see it. But uh, yeah. Yeah, they don't. That's not prominent at all. I've read well, that this, that what you just described, the uh, dragonflies, a swarm of dragonflies coming in for a swarm of termites, is, reaches uh, grandiose proportions in the tropics. That uh, it's really it's something to behold there. Once again, at dusk, I, as I recall. Uh, so, Joe, uh, one of your goals for 2023 is to see the railroad worm. If you would, tell us a little bit about that. The railroad worm, yeah, that's uh, it's related to the dragonflies. It's a, it's a, the, I believe it's the male 
larva of, of a certain species of dragonfly. And I, I'm not really counting on, I'm not going to go out every night looking for a railroad <laughs> worm, but I'm going to keep my, uh, keep it in the back of my mind that I might see one somewhere. I just have never seen one and I'd really like to. Uh, Libby, have you seen a railroad worm? I have. And yes, in fact, um, we can maybe put you on that. Of course, you want to see it at your own place, I'm sure. But there's a place um, that I guess it was the second year that we had synchronous fireflies. We were out in Linda LeClaire. I think you know Linda. She was Fish and Wildlife Service and worked with um, gopher frogs for so long. She and her husband, Ken, were at our house watching the fireflies. And Linda looked down and found the railroad worm. And we've seen them in that same area that she found that one the first time. We've seen them since then at night in the yard so i guess you know once they're in that part of the ground but it's a really neat uh they're called a railroad worm i guess because the lights along the back you know of course now we're talking about something that's maybe two inches long it's the most at the most i would guess about two inches long and it's kind of a ladder kind of a a a lighted area that kind of makes out a, a lighted ladder looking thing so it's sort of like a railroad ties i guess railroad line and ties and um it's the larvae and uh they're big and they're super predators in the you know in the leaf litter area and in their in their little kingdom they're big guys and um they're gobbling down other kinds of um tiny insects and insect eggs i was about i was about to ask you what what conditions were they in And, and you say leaf litter they were in the leaf litter yeah yeah and it, they, it was at the same time as the synchronous fireflies. So you're outside looking for light uh-huh. around anyway. So looking, looking in the leaf litter. So you're in, and you're in the woods. You're in a wooded area. Yeah, they were in the same. You know, like we have a little place that we call our our firefly gallery, kind of a place <laughs> where we put uh, chairs out. And because uh, you know, some people are not comfortable walking around in the woods at night with the you know, looking for the synchronous fireflies. So we have a place where you can go and sit and watch them. And uh, that's where the railroad one was, just right there in the leaf river. Okay. I don't have a really good place to see synchronous fireflies. I can I fa- found them. I know where they are, but it's it's not my land. It's not public land. So I drive along and turn out my lights and uh, and look. But I have to, you know, be really careful. You could never take a group into where I see the synchronous fireflies. This is uh, Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Let's uh, take a call, and it is our friend Mikey calling in from Mobile. Good morning, Mikey. You're on the air. Wow, what a a morning of information. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, uh, Okay, my comments are regarding my favorite things that I've seen in this last year. Owls and snakes. Great. Uh, uh, Not in that order, Um, uh, separately. The owl thing was when I saw the fledgling owls, I mean, they were just learning to fly because they were kind of crashing into stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, and, um, but they were so sweet and so cool. Um, it was during a drought time, and I had put out a, a, well, it was a, a shallow dish, and one of them actually came over to it. And I, could, I was inside, but, of course, they have such superior sight that um, – uh, he or she could see me, and um, and they and they looked at me and went, 
the dish is dry. <laughs> Bring some water, you know. <laughs> uh, so I will never forget it. I mean, I know maybe I hope that's not too mystical for public broadcasting, <laughs> but it happened to me. Okay. Can I ask you? Uh, so, now, can I ask you something about that? Was that the adult owl, or was it one of the young ones? It was the fledgling. It okay. was the ones that were crashing into stuff. There okay. Were three, I thought there was only one, but then I found out there were actually three. Yeah. Okay. But I'd heard I'd heard the adults for years before. So. Um, Do you know what yeah, species I, of owl that was? I don't know. It, I don't. That's, well, that's fine. That, we don't have I'm to know. Every- get more educated. <laughs> yeah, we don't have to know everything. Emerson would be proud of you. You know the philosopher Emerson. <laughs> so what about but snakes? <laughs> Mikey, what about the snake thing? Oh, the snake thing, man. I got a, um, I, I, again, this is some, now this, I'm talking a little less, a fifth of an acre in suburban Mobile, okay? West Mobile. I mean, we're not talking out in the woods. I do have other places, but this is not that place. These are the things that happened here, and I was able to see. Uh, the snake, uh, I call the snake that I've known. Seen for years, I called this. I named this snake Surprise about five or six years ago, because um, the first time I saw it, and in the first time it saw me, we both went ah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then we have become friends over the years. This is a a light tan snake with brown speckled spots, and this year it left me a shedding. It's gorgeous. Wow. Did you save the skin, perhaps? Yes, sir. I did. I did. But uh, to add to it, just a couple of months ago, I found that um, because I had an injury and I was not able to do the sorts of things that I like to, you know, you know, everybody's got plans and their plans, right? You just uh, just as you're going along. This was um, a bag where... um, There were uh, primarily oak leaves and, you know, in a black plastic bag. And I was out finally getting better enough to go out and and do some maneuvering around. And as I was doing it, there was this smaller snake about half the size of Surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, though, a progeny. And um, looking at me with the same curious, you know. Do you take hey, pictures? Do you, you doing? take what you doing? Do you take photographs? <laughs> I do. I what? Do you do you I'm take snakes fo- only? Because <laughs> we could probably identify your snakes to species if we had photographs, maybe. And also, I'd love to see a photograph of that skin, the snake skin that you mentioned. I would love to, but I. Uh, but I didn't have the, the even the phone thing with yeah, me. Yeah, I day. understand. Um, I you know, but uh, surprise too. Okay, <laughs> I will do my best to find out and uh, and try to photograph. I'm just learning the photograph yeah. thing. Okay. All right, uh, Mikey. Thanks for the observations. Got us kicked off with a great phone call. Bell, Jeremy, please wait. Uh, hang on the line. There, we're going to get to your calls, and we're looking for your input if you're listening this morning creature comforts on mpb think radio kevin farrell here with libby hartfield and today we have in studio one of our good friends of the show joe mcgee we're talking about uh, the observations wildlife observations, natural observations from 2022 and maybe what we can look forward to uh, in the coming year got a couple of calls to get to as promised we'll begin in yazoo county bell has called in today good morning bell you're on the air go ahead good morning uh, what I'm calling about is a one-footed bird that ha- we have seen 
that had survived for at least one year. And uh, this neighbor and I go every morning um, in the drive-through at a fast food place, pull over and park on the edge, and he feeds the birds. Most of them are these chickadee sparrows. But there are also some birds that he calls um, starlings, but I'm not sure they are, that come and join in and feed on what he throws out there. And we have noticed this uh, bird, which is um, it's uh, about one and about half more the size of a chickadee, and it is a charcoal gray. And this bird has both legs, but only one foot, and it comes and feeds occasionally. We see it oh maybe. Once a a month or every other month. And I just think it's wonderful that this little creature has survived with its one foot gone. And um, when it lands, it it stands on the other leg and the footless leg and feeds. And it, it gets its piece of food and it flies off. But I just think it's a wonderful vision, uh, a true vision or observation of survival. Thank you. You said the bird is slightly larger than a chickadee? Uh, yes. Can, uh, yeah. you, did you notice anything? In, and it's gray. You said it was gray all over? Yes. To me, it looks charcoal gray. Does it have, did you notice anything about its head? Does it have a crest? Or did no. You, it does not like have a... Like a cardinal? Yeah. Or a blue... No. Uh, I, I was no thinking, crib. you since it was a little larger than a chickadee and behaving like a chickadee, I was thinking it might be a titmouse, but apparently not. No. I, I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Uh, it is there year, in summer and winter. It's a permanent resident. Uh, right. And that's that's why I don't think it's a starling. Yeah. Well, starlings are, per, they are permanent residents, but starlings are big, robust oh. birds. Yeah, starlings. Okay. Starlings are they're here year round. They they breed in, in Mississippi. Uh, but anyway, it's a testament to how tough wildlife can be. I think I agree with you on that. So if uh, if you have a, a, a camera phone and we're ever able to snap a picture of it, you could always send it to us. Animals at mpbonline.org, and we'd be glad to kind of help you figure out what it is. I think a lot of us get interested in uh, the detective. Nature detective is a lot of fun to do. So we appreciate uh, the phone call. Let's uh, move on, staying on the phone lines. We go next to Mobile. Jeremy has called in today. Good morning, Jeremy. Go ahead. Good morning, all. How are you all doing? Good. Wonderful. Um, so I had a question. Um, you know the, uh, the, the, the saddleback uh, caterpillars? Yes, yes. Yes, yes. It's the larva uh, they, of a, they, a it's the larva of a moth, a, a certain moth. Um, but they, I mean, they're they're really beautiful. They are. But man, they will hit you like a scorpion. It's the worst thing in the world. Did you touch uh, it? Or did you get stung by? Oh one? yeah, no. Well, I, well, I, I used to work at a wholesale nursery, and uh, you know, sometimes they hide under the leaves of hydrangeas and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you're, you're you're just going through without your gloves on, and all of a sudden, you fall to your knees. Mm-hmm. And you realize, oh God, it was a saddleback. Yes, um, but they're beautiful. It, they're beautiful, but it, they just turn into just a common little, little lame moth. Yeah, drab, right? drab gray moth. That's right. Uh, 
a few weeks ago, I was talking to Kevin about this. Someone called in, I believe from Oxford or from the Oxford area, a fellow who was taking a walk at night, and he ran into something. He said it felt like a shard of glass, and he had four like little puncture wounds, as I understand it, little, little places are like they formed a rectangle, the corners of a rectangle. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't imagine what he was talking about. And, but later I got to thinking perhaps it was a saddleback caterpillar. We'll never know for sure, I guess. But you're right. It's very painful to be stung by one of those. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've, got, I've gotten hit by, you know, hornets. I've gotten hit by wasps. I've gotten hit by, you know, you name it, scorpions and bricks and stuff. The worst, that's the worst thing I've ever had. Um, I, and I don't, I've heard that, uh, the, uh, the bullet ants is probably the most painful thing in the world, but I, yeah, hmm. Lord help me. I don't, I, I, <laughs> you don't wish, you don't wish that on your worst that's, enemy. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's, that's the worst I've ever felt in my life. And, um, it was, you know, it, it, it happens in an instant and you really do just crumple like, mm-hmm. a, like a wet paper sack. Mm-hmm. It's just awful. So. Uh, are they are are they around here as well? When you say around here, you mean Mobile? Are you yeah, in, like the, 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 in the in the Gulf Coast area? Oh, oh yes, definitely. I yeah, okay. all, they're all over Mississippi. I know for sure. I, I'll bet you every county has them. Okay. Well, because I you know I I haven't seen one yet, but you know <laughs> that doesn't mean they're not there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you, I'm, I'm you, not, you know it's like a snake. If you're looking for it. You're not. You're not going to see it, but yeah, you'll. Yeah. Yes, you'll find one sooner or later. Yeah. Well, I, when when it, when it when it comes time to start trimming up the yard and taking care of the bushes, I'm sure I'll find one. Yeah, and try to get a good instead of letting it sting, you get a really neat photograph because they're beautiful, as you mentioned. Oh, they are absolutely gorgeous. But you know, that's that's one of those like, hey, you know. If I look this pretty, stay away. Yeah, they have no need to move fast. You know, some caterpillars will, you know, crawl away from you. This one stays put. Yep, it just it just sits there and plants like a tree. All right. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, this is yeah. Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Uh, you know, Joe, we had the call about the uh, the one-footed bird. My story that's similar to that is uh, I love to watch the shorebirds when I go down to visit my brother in Florida. And uh, one year during the wintertime, um, it looked like all the birds had only one leg. And I, th- I think I actually I had to ask somebody, and it turns out that they, they stick one leg up under their uh, – to kind of keep it warm. And so That's right, yeah, because uh, their legs are unfeathered. For yeah. the, most birds have unfeathered legs and feet. So, uh, yeah, it's a way to, to conserve heat. But, yeah, I love the I love the shorebirds because, you know, it's interesting to me. There's some big but small ones, and they always seem to be always so active, running around, running up and down the shore, you know, looking right, for food and right such. Right at the edge of the water mm-hmm. when, as the water moves in and out. Those are probably sanderlings that you're seeing, a neat little bird. Yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just I think the, how frantic they are is always just fun to watch. One of, one of the many fun things, enjoyable things to do on the beach, and, and I know – uh, even in the wintertime, obviously, I think most people prefer the beach in the summer, but uh, it's it's a, it's very relaxing in the wintertime as it's well. It's a really good time to, to learn the shorebirds. Of course, they're in drab plumage. They're in what's called a basic plumage, then kind of drab, but real good time of year to uh, to learn some of the shorebirds, the sandpipers and their relatives. We'll get one more phone call in before our next break, and it's uh, our friend Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. You're on the air with us. Good morning. <clears throat> I like to say a few words about a critter, and it's not a little critter. Okay, I had um, a few years ago. I was I got up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom, and I had the bathroom window open, and 
anyway, it was, in, it was dark, but I, the, I didn't have a light on or anything, and I went in there, and I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I heard this scream, and uh, it made the hair raise on the back of my neck, you know. <laughs> I, I was like scared that you know what out of me, but uh, it, I remember that Grandma and Grandpa used to call it, they called them painters, they meant panthers, you know. Okay, so I saw this National Geographic show, and they say that there are no panthers left in anywhere. They're extinct or something. But uh, I, I know they follow the creeks uh, around, you know, the property here, and um, you do hear one every once in a while. So are they extinct or not? Well, I almost don't want to wade into this. No, uh, you're talking about panthers, right, or cougars, or out west, they're, where Libya is right now, they're, they're called mountain lions. They're not extinct. The Florida panther, which is the one that occurred in Mississippi and over most of the southeast, is greatly reduced now. It's only found way down in south Florida, where they're often hit by cars. Uh, but they're not extinct. But I don't, you didn't, when you got up that night, you didn't actually see an animal, did you? No, but I heard it. You what you hear when you never forget it. It sounds like a woman screaming. That's what everybody tells me. And you know what I think that could be? I'm not saying this is what you heard. I don't know what you heard because I didn't hear it. But often what gets reported as a cougar or a panther or a catamount, some people call it, is actually yeah. an, an owl. Barred owls can make a sound that sounds like a woman screaming. Uh, well, uh, I, I, there, some, there were some people here in McLean who went camping out on, on a sandbar in the Leaf River, and it was after dark. They had built a fire, and uh, they heard this scream, and they <clears throat> it scared them, and they they they, flat, they put their flashlight on, on that sound across the, the river there, and, and it had green eyes, and it was staring at them and screaming. It was a panther. So I, I don't know what, what the National Geographic or anybody else is. I still think there's not a panther or two around well, somewhere. There was recently, um, I think it was in National Geographic, a map printed that showed there have been some official sightings of mountain lions in Louisiana and Arkansas. They do move, some of them do move west. I, I don't want to start putting out false information, but this is a subject of great controversy. Every panther sighting that's investigated by people like Robert Rummel or, or Richard Rummel, I'm sorry, uh, when they explore, it always turns out to be something else. He, they will make casts of the track. I've seen some of the tracks, huge things. I thought, my gosh, what could, else could it be? But it always turns out to be dogs or, or something else. I don't think there are any official panther sightings in Mississippi for the past few years. But, but if you, you know, it does add mystery to the, um, to the environment. It's like ivory bill woodpeckers, probably extinct. But if people still want to see them and have said they saw them, you go for it. All right. All right, Sue, thanks for your call. Kevin Farrell here with Libby Hartfield, and today in studio, our guest is Joe McGee. Uh, we were earlier talking about, uh, what was it, rail, railroad worms? Is that, uh, was yeah, that not, one of Joe? Not really a worm. It's the larva of a beetle, actually. Uh, but our good friend Tom Mann, who was on the show last week telling us about his work with salamanders, sent in a great picture of one. And you, you definitely can see where they get the railroad, as Libby was describing. It almost looks like railroad ties or something. So uh, thanks to Tom for listening. And participating and joining us, by the way. Uh, anytime you take a picture of something that you see out in nature, uh, maybe you'd just like to share it with us, but maybe you want to try to find out more information. We've got a network of folks that we can send pictures to that'll help us identify, folks like Joe. Uh, so if you have a picture and you're kind of curious as to what it is, send it to animals at mpbonline.org, and we'll try to help you figure out what exactly it is. 
Uh, let's go to uh, Mike, who has called in from Tupelo this morning. Mike, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning. Thanks for another great show. So concerning the last caller about the scream maybe associated with a panther, um, I think I got a better, more likely solution to that. Uh, turns out I was my dog was going crazy and went out in the backyard, and there was a red fox out there, and they were standing looking at each other, and the fox kind of got down and wanted to play and then backed off, and then I saw it, saw it open its mouth and heard it scream. And it uh, sounded just like a woman screaming. There you go. <laughs> and so now I've looked it up on the source of all knowledge, the Internet here, and a site called North American Nature. It says foxes can normally be heard screaming at night. This is to attract a mate, but also made during mating. Foxes also scream to communicate with other foxes. Their screams can also be used to warn away predators. Hmm. So, all right. Thank you. That's good to know. And... and uh, we now know that it, it wasn't a woman calling, <laughs> at least not the not one a, you heard. It's not a woman. It's not a panther. And it was one of those, if I hadn't seen the animal and, and seen been able to see it open yeah. its mm-hmm. mouth and make that noise, I would not have believed that it actually came from that little bitty animal. So, right. Anyway, that was uh, that's my comment. Good to know. All right. All right. And you can go to YouTube and watch uh, multiple videos on it if you want to. So there you go. All right. Great, Mike. Thanks for the call. Uh, Next, let's uh, move down to Osaka, our friend Kathleen. Good morning, Kathleen. You're on the air with us. I'll be quick. I have a question, uh, several questions about snakes and their memory. One, is it true that where snakes are born, they are inherent with a a home-finding kind of thing built in? They can go off, or their their little snakelings, I call it, come back to the home and can carry on like that for generations. Well, I don't think they're homebodies, but uh, they're tethered to their habitat. Now, when when a, a number, you know, some snakes are born live, right? And the females give birth to live young, and others hatch from eggs. They're little wiggly things, and quite a few of those actually fall prey to bigger things, even other snakes, sometimes of their own kind, they're not really, I don't think they're really homebodies, but, but they'll hang around the habitat if it's, you know, appropriate habitat, and they don't get eaten. Oh, it's appropriate, all right. <laughs> I just would like to find them an orphanage real quick. Thank you, guys. I enjoy your show, Kevin. All right. Bye-bye. Good to hear from you. Uh, got a couple of minutes uh, left, um, Joe. Um, so what would you say uh, in the early part of 2023, maybe uh, getting to be around late February, early March, when things start to warm back up in spring, what are some things maybe we could uh, anticipate seeing out when it starts to thaw out in spring? Well, we'll still have the uh, spring peepers and the uh, coarse fires calling. I, last night I had an interesting experience. I, it was raining, and you know, yesterday was just awful weather-wise, and I was hoping the rain would at least continue past sundown, but it didn't in my area. It was like somebody turned off the faucet. <laughs> I went out looking for, thought maybe I'd see some salamanders, you know, swimming in the, in the rain, but uh, moving in the rain. Didn't see any salamanders. Saw two or three frogs, but I heard a really substantial chorus of chorus frogs, presumably upland chorus frogs. So that was nice, and we can hear those well into spring, the spring peepers too. I heard a few spring peepers. I still haven't heard a nice, loud chorus of spring peepers. But there's a little butterfly I'd like to alert people to to keep an eye out for. In, in central Mississippi, it's mid-March, maybe down south a little earlier. North, it might be a little later. It's called a falcate orange tip. It's a little white butterfly. 
small, delicate flies at one of the worst times of the year for a butterfly to fly in that it's very windy in March and can be cold. But you'll see them, uh, sometimes they're being tossed by the wind, but on days when it's calm, they'll come visit little white flowers in your lawn, little uh, false garlic or the the bitter cresses that bloom. And the, it's, the bitter cresses are the plants that they lay their eggs on. So that's something I always look forward to more than the, you know, we don't have the first robin. We really have the last robin because robins overwinter in Mississippi. You know, robins are considered a sign that spring has arrived, but uh, I consider the falcate orange tip, a little white butterfly to be this, the sign that spring is really on the way. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for today. Joe, I wish you uh, happy holidays. We always enjoy having you on as a guest, and you're really a, a great source of information for those of us who are on the show and our listeners as well. So well, thank you. Happy holidays to you. Hey, same to you. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. Jermaine Flood produces our podcasts, and our call screener is Charles Arnold. So for Joe McGee, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 